sorry. If you closed your Bible, please open it. Um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, as Ross read for us. Um, So he gave us a bit of the context, but we're looking at a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church he planted in Thessalonica, which is located in northern Greece. And in chapter one of this letter, we looked at Paul, who was um, evidencing, who saw some vital signs of the faith in the people in the church of Thessalonica. And then in chapter two, he moves on and talks about all the vital signs of a genuine gospel ministry. And he says to them, they knew that he was sent by God. He came and preached the gospel and he did it like a loving parent. Paul was only in the city for about a month's time. And within this month's time, he saw some Jews come to Christ, some Gentiles as well, or many Gentiles as the text says in Acts 17, if you really want the the context. So these Jews weren't happy with Christianity coming to their city, and so they rised up and they, they incited a mob or a riot. And for their safety, the, the new Christians sent Paul and Silas away at night. And this presented a dilemma for Paul, because Paul was their spiritual father, if you want to say. And so now Paul is separated from his spiritual children. And it's a, basically a long distance relationship. But there was no FaceTime, there was no emails, there was no calls. And likely there were some people in the city who were saying things to the Thessalonians, such as, Paul's never coming back. Paul didn't actually care for you. He was just out to flatter you. He was here for your money. There's people sowing bad seeds and lies. And so Paul is separated from them. But however, Paul loved them and he longed to see them. So a pastor's longing. So let's just take a moment and pray. Pray with me, so. Heavenly Father, you, God, have given us your word to guide us and direct us in all of our life. Please give us attentive ears and understanding hearts tonight to know and love your word and your teaching and ultimately to know and love you better. Help us tonight, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want you to think with me for a second of something that you have loved and lost. And it could have been you losing it or it could have been someone taking something from you or stealing it. So when you lost it, how did it make you feel? Maybe sad, maybe unhappy, unsettled, worried or concerned. You may have felt as if this thing was torn from you unjustly or abruptly. You may have wished that you had more time with whatever that thing is. And there are many situations that could fit the bill to say for these set of questions. From a toddler having a precious toy taken away to losing a phone or having something you love stolen or even losing a loved one. When we love something, we want to be with it. We want to have it, and it hurts and concerns us when it's not there. So this heartfelt longing 
is what the Apostle Paul is trying to convey to the Thessalonians. And that even though he had to leave them so suddenly, it was too soon. And so this is in part a response to tell them the reasons for his absence, but also to to express to them the longing he has to come to them. So today, the big idea of this text is that genuine pastoral ministry involves a depth of love, a concern, and a joy that mutually encourages. And we are going to look throughout this passage at Paul's, the depth of Paul's joy, the extent of his concern, and the heights of his joy. So if you look with me to the text, so we're going to be looking at from 17 to 20. So firstly, the depths of Paul's joy. And we see the depths of Paul's joy evidenced in his past love for the people, his present love for the people, and his future hope and love for the people. But before we get to the text, just a, a, a chapter before, Paul has expressed this love in family-like language. He said to the, he said to the Thessalonians in verse 7 of chapter 2, we were like little or like young children among you. And then continuing on from that, he said, we are just as a nursing mother cares for her children, we cared for you. And then if you keep going down, he, he says, for you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. So Paul had a relationship with these people. So for Paul's past love, we see him expressing that. But first, if we look to the text, um, we see him acknowledge them as brothers and sisters, verse 17, but brothers and sisters, and this is a common um, greeting, brothers and sisters of Christ, but the next part of that, he says, when we were orphaned from you, Paul uses a strong word here, a word that could apply to parents being deprived of their children, or vice versa. Could also apply to a bereavement, a loss. And we see that even though he was not with them in body, what does it say? In, we were separated from you for a short time in person, not in thought. So even though he was not with them in body, he was with them in thought. They were always on his mind in prayers. So Paul loved them. In the past, he loved them before, when he was still with them. But then we move to the present, and we see that Paul's present love for, for them didn't fade. In chapter 2, 17 to 18, if we keep reading, we see, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you, for we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. So Paul tried again and again, and we see that he had this intense longing he was hindered or blocked by Satan. And we can't make much of that. Some people have tried. If you Google it, you'll get a thousand different answers on what those four words mean. But Satan blocked our way. Five words. So we can only take as much as the text gives us. And Paul knew that ultimately God was in control. So he's not saying that Satan is over God or Satan is the one who's ultimately keeping us because God, Paul knew that ultimately his getting from point A to point B was up to God. But somehow Satan was hindering him. 
And Paul even says to the Ephesians, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Paul knew there was more to this life than just the physical. There was a spiritual battle in the spiritual realm. So Paul was aware. And we see that his present love for them, out of his intense longing, he made every effort. But this, this present love he had for them while he was separated didn't fade, like I said, and it, and it carried on in, in his heart. It carried on for his hope to see them in the future. So if you look, he says in verse 19, for what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? So Paul's future love consists of a desire to see these Christians in heaven, in glory, when Christ returns. John Stott says about this, that Paul's joy in this world and his glory in the next were tied up with the Thessalonians. He said they are Christ's trophies that Paul wants to offer to him. And so Paul's love for them extended beyond his earthly circumstances into his hope for what lies beyond the grave. He says, you are our hope, joy, and crown. But, but it would be great, or wouldn't it be great to be loved like that? And some of us husbands or, or fathers or mothers, we have children, we have wives, we, we try to love our best, but Paul, we see this, this example, this, um, this desire and longing for the Thessalonians. And it would be so great to have someone continuing to show us his unfading love. And now Paul's love is great, as we've seen, but there's a love that is greater still, and this love is a perfect love. And we see this love demonstrated by God. The Bible says he shows his love for us in this way, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That Christ, that Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for it so they could have life, so we could have life. This is a picture of the gospel and if you were here earlier today in, in, in the sermon from Liam, he talked about Christ alone. He is our only mediator between God and man. I encourage you to listen to it when it's up on the internet. But this is a picture of the gospel, the good news, the greatest display of love that this world has ever seen. That the holy and perfect God who created and sustains all things provided a savior, a rescuer for rebellious man. And the savior is Jesus and he is the only way to the father. His death paid our debt and now providing his gift of salvation that cannot be earned, bought, demanded, or commanded from man. He commands everyone to repent and trust him. So do you know this great abounding love? Do you know the love that God offers through Christ? And not just know about it, because there's people that know a lot of facts about the Bible. You can rattle me off the gospel message and not be a Christian, but do you actually know it? Do you know God through Christ? It's offered to all. Man must just turn and believe. What a display of love. So we see Paul's depth, the depth of Paul's love, evidence in his past, present, and future love for this church that he was only with a month. 
So us church leaders, do we have this kind of love for, our, for those who have been given to us to lead, pastor and love? Do we have this? Does it continue? And for the church, your pastors and leaders and elders um, have a huge responsibility. Pray for them. Pray that, the, that they wouldn't be hindered by Satan, that they wouldn't be discouraged in their ministry. Pray that they wouldn't stumble, that they'd be strengthened. Encourage them. Because in a world of distractions, it's easy for our love to grow cold over time. But love without action is just merely words, wishful thinking. Love without action is mere sentiment. However, Paul's deep love does not just stay in thought. It, it produces a great concern for God's people. So moving through the text in chapter 3, from 1 to 5, we're going to see the extent of Paul's concern for the, for the church in Thessalonica. So look at verse 1 and verse, three, verse 5. So 1 and verse 5. And see the expression of this concern. He says, when we could stand it no longer. And then he repeats that in verse 5. He simply couldn't cope with the fact that since he had left them, he hadn't received any news about how they were getting on. I wonder if you've been concerned like that before. Maybe a friend or a child or a spouse is late to come home and you're left waiting. Obviously, we would have concern. If you, love, if you truly love something, you're truly concerned about it because true love truly cares. So what, is, what was Paul concerned about? Because um, we see beyond the fact that he hadn't heard from them, that was a concern, but what was he actually concerned about? So in verse three to five, we see, we start seeing what he was concerned about. So three, between three and five, uh, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that, you, that we would be persecuted, and it turned out that way, as you know. So Paul was concerned because of the trials and persecutions that the Thessalonican church faced. He had warned them when he was with them that afflictions would come. And he actually said, we are destined for them. And in, in verse 6 of chapter 1, he actually acknowledges that the Thessalonians welcomed the message of the gospel in the midst of severe suffering with joy given by the Holy Spirit. So Paul, yes, was, con was concerned about their safety, like a parent who was concerned for their, the safety of their child. My son, if you open the back door, he just takes off running. Um, even if it's open a crack, he'll find his way out, and he runs, and if, if we're not careful, he'll run down the side of the house, and we know that um, the, if the gate's open, he'd make his way to the street. So that's a concern for us. I'm concerned for his safety, so I try to put hedges in. I put a, a, a blockade to keep him from getting to the street, or I sh shut the door. Paul was concerned about their safety. But Paul was also concerned about their faith. Had they been unsettled? Had the Thessalonians been blown off course by the persecution or the afflictions that they were suffering? Had they been persuaded to denounce Christ? 
And Paul is by no way implying that he thinks they could lose their salvation. Jesus said, nothing can snatch you out of my Father's hands. But Paul is genuinely concerned for the strength of their faith in the face of opposition and the legitimacy of their faith. Would they endure? So just as someone is waiting for their child to come home who's been out in the town maybe, or my wife if she's out um, having a cup of tea with somebody and I look at the time and she should have been home five minutes ago, uh, 10 minutes, an hour, two hours, I start to be concerned. And I don't just leave it at that. I don't just say, oh, well, two hours, she should have been home, I'll just go to bed. No, that concern produces something. It produces an action. I start calling around. Well, who, who is she with? Maybe I can call. You know, two hours is quite a time, you know. Um, and this is the same thing the apostle's doing. He's not just has this deep love and then this great concern and like, oh, well, that's good enough. He does something about it. Because true love doesn't just truly love, but it acts. So what does Paul do? What does he do? And in verse one, we see the first thing. He thought it best to be left alone. He said, so when we could stand it no longer, verse one of chapter three, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. Paul was willing to make personal sacrifice by being left alone in a pagan city and sending his right-hand man or his pastor in training, as Liam said this morning. And he didn't make it just a rash decision. It wasn't like Paul was trying to get to Thessalonica and he couldn't get there, so he's like, what am I gonna do? Timothy, you go. No, he sent Timothy and he sent him with a purpose. And we see this purpose in verse two. So if you look to verse two, he said, we sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. We send them to strengthen and encourage them in their faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. Strengthen, encourage, and comfort. So Timothy had, had been sent on a nurturing mission and a fact-finding reconnaissance. How are they doing? His brief to Timothy had been, go, stabilize the Thessalonians in their faith and remind them that the suffering for Christ was unavoidable and then come back with news of, and tell me how they're doing. We see Paul's great concern for them and sending Timothy. But Paul's deep love produced a great acting concern for the Thessalonians. And thinking back to Paul's statement about trials and that we are destined for them, we can draw an application from this because you don't have to think hard or look far to know that we all face them. Everyone faces trials today. And even in the church, pastors and leaders, how are we keeping up to date with the matters concerning our members? How are we keeping up to date with the matters that are concerning the things of the people, the issues, the problems, the pains? This is a huge church to try to keep up with everyone. It's a massive job, but we're all going through things. This also applies for fathers and mothers. How are you keeping up to speed with the struggles your kids are facing? 
at school, at church, at home, on the way to school. I worked in a secondary school. There's crazy stuff goes on sometimes. Are you dealing with these trials that your family and children are going through? How are you going to deal with these? Purposely or just kind of let time take run its course and hopefully that your, your child will find their way. Do, you're doing something good here. We bring in the church, coming to church. We're, we're trying to teach them and raise them in the way they should go. But we need to be aware that everyone is going through them. So here's several things that, we might, that might help us to do better. Firstly, we, let's pray and ask God to help us help others. Paul was reaching out to the Thessalonians, sending Timothy. So as, as we pray to God to, to help us help others, be aware that people might come in front of you that need help. So let's ask good questions. And when we're asking good questions, it's important that we don't just keep asking questions, but we need to give, give them room to talk. So let's be good listeners. And another thing is maybe when we're walking away, I don't know if you're like me, but um, uh, I can hear a conversation and walk away and be like, what did they just say? So write, maybe write something down. What did they say? Oh, they're going this place on this date. So when that day, in that day come, I can send them a text saying, hey, I'm praying for you or thinking about you. Or next time I see them, I can ask them, hey, how are you? How are you doing? How was that? That shows my love and concern for people. So there are many ways we can help others who are suffering or going through trials. And we have seen so far the depth of Paul's love, the extent of Paul's concern, and now I want to look briefly at the heights of Paul's joy. As we finish up the passage from 6 to 10. So, but Timothy has now come, or has just now come to us from you, and has brought good news. So Paul has sent Timothy from Athens, and I did a Google search, and Athens is 266 miles from where Paul was. It's not quite an Edinburgh to Glasgow job, it's like an Edinburgh to Sheffield. And I want you to imagine how Paul's feeling he just sent Timothy, and now he's waiting. And I couldn't help to think from the expressions that we've seen so far that there would have been a little bit of pacing the floor, the occasional hurried peek out the window, maybe a noise, is that Timothy? I don't know. But all in eager anticipation for this return, all in eager anticipation to find out how the Thessalonians are doing. How have they fared in my absence? Have they been crushed by affliction, discouraged, or have they stood strong? So the heights of Paul's joy is evidenced in Timothy's report and Paul's response. So in this, passage, this section, we're going to look at Timothy's report and Paul's response. So firstly, we see Timothy brings this good news, this good report. Paul says, um, Timothy has just now come, and he has brought good news about their faith and love. So in terms of their faith, this is speaking of their relationship with God. They were continuing to stand. They hadn't, been, they hadn't, hadn't thrown it all to the wind or thrown in the towel, especially in the face of their affliction. And in terms of their love, we look, Paul says this. 
He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us, just as we long to see you. Paul longed to see them, and when he received this message that it was mutual, they didn't listen to the people who were maybe speaking to them that Paul doesn't care if you forget about him. They cared for him. They wanted to see Paul. They longed to see Paul. So Paul was encouraged. And in terms of their love, so, so, so out of all the anticipation, the anxiety, the questions, the concerns, this good report doesn't put it all to rest. There is still a work to be done amongst the Thessalonians. But I was, as I was thinking, I was thinking about Paul in the situation, I was trying to think myself into his shoes. I was trying to be like, how would Paul feel? How, how, how is Paul like thinking in this situation as he's writing this letter. And I, and I pictured him standing in the doorway as Timothy comes and returns. And he's holding on to Timothy by the shoulders and he's listening intently to every syllable, every word, ingesting every detail with utmost attention. And then, and then at the end of the report, I was like, maybe he leapt for joy like David and gave a shout. Or maybe he out of relief, stumbled back to his easy chair and just sat back with a deep sigh. But we see this, this report produced something in Paul. It, produ- it had a great effect on him. So next we see the evidence of this heights for joy, heights of Paul's joy in his response to the report. So in verse 7, See, therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about, your, encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. So we see he was mutually encouraged. He had this love and concern, and it came back. Even in the midst of distress and persecution that he was suffering, he was encouraged because of their faith. But we also see in verse 8 that Paul Paul's own faith was strengthened. He says in verse eight, for now we live, or we really live. And I was kind of stuck by this. I was like, how does Paul really live? What does he mean? And in reading about, I found some people said, well, he could mean, now I can breathe. It's a good report, I can breathe now. Or he could mean, I've been given a new lease of life. But most likely he is saying that he receives confidence in his own faith through the knowledge that his converts, the Thessalonians, are continuing in the faith. The successful outcome of their faith in Christ is a fruit demonstrating the genuineness of Paul's own life in Christ. And I was like, what? That, the fruit that's being born in their life is encouraging his own genuineness or his own confidence in his own faith. And I asked, I asked myself, I was like, do I see fruit in my ministry of people that's encouraging and giving me confidence in my faith? But it produced him this, this overwhelming joy as well. We see in, uh, in 3 John, John says about his spiritual children, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And this is the same here with Paul. He had sent Timothy to strengthen and encourage their faith, and in return, his faith was strengthened and encouraged. 
It was mutual. But he doesn't stop there. We see this good news produced in him an overwhelming thankfulness. And we see this from verse nine onward. So if you look at verse nine, he says, how we thank God enough for you. Or how we, how we, how can we, sorry, I need to write, how can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of God? Paul is so full of joy and thankfulness in God's presence because God has done such an amazing work in the lives of Thessalonians. I had to read that again several times. It was like, Paul has so much joy in the presence of God and he can't thank God enough for what God did. And in verse 10, we see this abounding, uh, this abounding joy and thankfulness drives him to pray. It drives him to a prayer. We see that from 10, oh, verse 10. Night and day. And this isn't just a tag on the end of a message, on like a Facebook message, praying for you, or a text praying. Paul means it here. He says, night and day. Most earnestly, He's praying so that that he would see them again and supply what is lacking in their faith. And I was wondering, I was just thinking about prayer and I was thinking how often sometimes I just rattle off a prayer. You are so great, thank you for this plate, let's eat. But this declaration of prayer is, is purposeful. You see his love and concern in it. You see this constant prayer. At the end of 1 Thessalonians, you'll see pray without ceasing. This echoes back to verse 17 when he said he was torn away, not in body, not in mind. They were constantly on his mind, constantly in his prayers. And he was praying that he would come to see them, that he could come and see them, that he could supply what is lacking in their faith. This shows his, his continuing love and concern for them. Paul knew his work wasn't over, because obviously in Timothy's report that was so full of good things, we'll see when we continue this letter and the rest of chapter three, four, and five, there were certain things that they needed extra instruction in, they needed more teaching in, they needed encouragement in. But you have to come back to hear that. But we have seen the depths of Paul's love, the extent of his concern and the height of his joy. But so what? How does this love, concern, and joy have any bearing on your life and my life? You might be sitting there thinking, I'm not a pastor. I can just check out. I'm not a leader, so it doesn't concern me. But what I want to do is I want to see how this text includes everyone. If Paul, it's funny enough, Paul, the apostle Paul, but we'll use Paul, our pastor, as an example, if Paul, our pastor, sent someone like a Timothy to view your life over the next several weeks and bring back a report, what would the report be like? For Christians, would it be a good report? Would it be a, a report that when, when Timothy came, comes to Paul, it would encourage him and strengthen his faith? 
You would gain confidence that yes, what we're doing here is, is great. We're seeing fruit where um, uh, that, that is real, true faith that's enduring. And uh, would it encourage him? Would it encourage his thankfulness and joy before God? And I was thinking of what in our lives would encourage and what in our life would we rather have no one, especially pastors, know about? So I encourage you to let's, let's strive for the upward call and seek to live a life pleasing to God because he sees everything and knows all things. However, maybe, maybe Timothy's report of your life wouldn't be so good. Maybe he would come back and report that actually, I'm sorry, Paul, but there's no faith at all. And if this is the case, I urge you to think about what you've heard today with regards to God's great love that he has shown each one of us. He's shown the world through Christ and the salvation that he offers. You've heard the gospel message. If you were here this morning, you heard it so clear. And I hope you've heard it today. And I encourage you to turn to God. There's no sin too heinous. There's no sinner too lost. Find forgiveness at the cross. And if you want to know more or you want to chat about this, come talk to me, find me, or find another, um, another leader or anybody in this church. Or there should be a prayer team down front. Find one of us. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. But Paul wanted his readers to know through this, through this letter, his heartfelt longing for them. And we looked at the depths of Paul's love, the extent of his concern, and the heights of his joy. So we conclude that a genuine pastoral ministry would involve these things, would involve them having a depth of love, a concern, and a joy for their congregation that should lead to mutually, mutual encouragement. If you could please bow your heads with me. We'll pray.